Amen. Let's give the Lord a big round of applause this morning. Worthy is his name. Amen. Well, friends, I love coming to church on Sunday mornings, worshiping with all of you, and uh, we are so blessed with a great church family here at Lakes Free. One of the things that we like to do occasionally uh, throughout the year on Sunday mornings is have some special faith stories where we invite uh, members or part of our Lakes, people who are part of our Lakes Free family to come and just share about what God has been doing in their lives and their excitement about following Christ. And, and uh, today we've got a special faith story, one that I'm really excited about because uh, I have the privilege this morning of introducing you to four of my favorite people in our church. Uh, We've got some special young people from here at Lakes Free who are going to come share their faith stories with us this morning. I want to introduce to you, and and you can welcome them as they come up on stage. So you you guys can start making your way up. We've got Christian Osmondson, Claire Mickelson, Paige Causey, and Dwayne Myers. So come on up, guys. You can uh, have a... Line up right up here with me. So great to see you guys. Christian, come on over here, buddy. Dwayne, why don't you go right there at the end of the line. Christian, you can come up here. Good work. All right. Well, here's the thing. We have a a significant priority here at Lakes Free Church is working together to reach the next generation for Jesus Christ. And uh, that's really a a huge priority for our church family. We invest a lot of time and money and resources in the next generation. And it starts all the way at the beginning, our nursery and preschool kids, all the way up through our elementary age kids, and then student ministry with junior high and senior high. And uh, we just really feel compelled that God has called us as a church to, to make this a significant priority. To, to reach the next generation so that they too can grow up knowing that Jesus loves them and, and being in love with Jesus and being in love with being a part of his church. So, so I've asked some of these, uh, these great kids to come up this morning and share with all of us some of their favorite things about church, what some of the lessons they've learned as they've grown up here so far at Lakes Free Church, uh, special memories of the church. So I'm going to just go down the row with you guys. And again, I'm going to ask you to share your name with everybody. Just remind us who you are. And if you could, tell us how old you are and maybe uh maybe what grade you're in does that sound good so your name your age what grade you're in and then i've got a question i'm going to ask each of you all right so i'm going to start here with christian uh tell us again your name and your age and what grade you're in buddy christian christian what's your last name osmondson Osmondson. all right christian how old are you buddy Nine. Nine. Now, I, I would venture to guess that this is one of your great dreams in life to be up on stage here, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, all right. Yes. Well, we're excited to have you up here, Christian. Yes. Christian, let me ask you a question. What do you love most about coming to church? What do you love about coming to church? Anything in particular stand out to you when you think about that? Um, What's that? People. The people here? Yes. Yeah, that's a great answer. Why, why do you like the people here at church? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what, what, what about the people? What about the people? Just calm down. Just calm down. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> how, about, how about some of your leaders? Who are, who are a few of your favorite leaders that you've had? Maybe in Sunday school classes? I don't know. Do you have any special friends here that, you've, that God's blessed you with? I don't know. What's that? Anyone in particular? Pastor no. Jason. Pastor Jason. <laughs> Pastor Jason. Pastor Jason. What an answer, buddy. What an answer, buddy. Good job, my friend. Good job. 
You did great, Christian. All right. Let me go to my friend Claire next. Um, I'm Claire. I am 10 years old, and I'm in fifth grade. Fifth grade. All right, Claire. So, Claire, let me ask you, what would you say? Hey, Christian, you leaving us already? You can hang out here, buddy. Come on over. Yeah, you can hang out here with us. So, uh, so Claire, tell me, what would you say is the most important thing uh, that you've learned here at church? Well, I've learned a lot of important things, like how to pray and how to love people like Jesus did. But I think the most important thing is John three sixteen and how Jesus died on the cross for us to save us from sins. Um, and how it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, you can... If you believe in Jesus, you can still go to heaven. Wow, man, Claire, that's a great answer. Wow. I might, I might just leave you up here. You can help me preach the sermon later. Man, that was good. That was really good. Paige, how about you? Tell us your name, how old you are, and uh, what grade you're in. I'm Paige. I'm What's your last name? I'm Paige Causey. Okay. I'm in third grade, and I'm eight years old. Okay. Now, Paige, what would you say are some of your favorite memories from here at church? Vacation Bible School and the Christmas program. Oh, nice. Those are good answers. So what, what is it about Vacation Bible School that you really like? I like how we were outside all the time. Being outside. Okay, some of the activities we do out there. How about the Christmas program? I know everybody here always enjoys seeing the kids in the Christmas program. What, what's your favorite part about the, the Christmas program? How we dress up. Dressing up, yep, and sharing the story of Jesus with everybody. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Are you going to be a part of the Christmas program this year? Cool, awesome. Good job, Paige. All right, Dwayne, why don't you come on over here, buddy? And Paige, you can just stay in line there with Claire. And Christian, you want to join us up in line here? Come on up. Everybody likes to see you. Good job, buddy. All right. All right, so tell us your name, your age, and what grade you're in. My name's Dwayne Myers. And your age? I'm 10 years old, and... What grade are you going to be in this year? Fifth grade. Fifth grade, awesome. Now, Dwayne, I had the special privilege of baptizing you just a couple weeks ago. That was pretty cool. I was, uh, that, was a great, that was a great experience. Did you enjoy that, uh, being baptized? Was that, a, was that a neat thing for you? Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, Dwayne, let me ask you this question. What would you say uh, is one of the most important lessons that you've learned here at church? John 3.16. John 3.16, the verse about God's love for us. And how he died on the cross for our sins. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and I know that you believe that and you trust in that, right? Yes. Yeah. Praise the Lord, man. Well, we're so glad to have each of you guys here at Lake Street Church. You guys can go take a seat. We are, uh, we're truly blessed with some special young people here at Lakes Free. And uh, like I said, those are, those are four of my favorites here at our church. And... You know, one of, the, one of the things that God has really put on my heart for our church, again, is this, this vision of working together to reach the next generation for Christ. Uh, you know, we, we all know the, the sad stories of young people who grow up in the church and sadly end up uh, straying from their faith. And I really feel that one of our big callings here at Lakes Free is to do everything that we can to, to turn the tide on that. And, uh, and that begins at, at, the youngest, uh, at the youngest ages, helping kids to know Christ, to fall in love with Jesus, to come around them as a church family and let them know that there are people in their lives that love them and care about them, to see positive examples of what being a part of the church is all about. And so, uh, so all of us have a role to play in that as we work together to, to reach 
the next generation for Jesus. And, you know, my hope and dream is that, you know, people like Christian and Claire and Dwayne and Paige, that they're going to grow up one day and they're going to be sitting out here as adults with their own family and kids, raising their kids in the same way, to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to, uh, and to serve him. And so um, I'm just really excited about uh, our church rallying around that vision. And uh, I'd encourage you this year, friends, to be praying for our young people. Uh, our littlest ones all the way up through senior high, college-age students, be praying that God would be at work in their lives and in their hearts. And, uh, and I'd encourage you, too, to think about praying about how God might use you to make an investment in the next generation. Maybe it's building relationships with some of the young kids in our church. Maybe it's coming alongside a young family or a young couple and just investing in their lives as a, as a mentor to them. Maybe it's working in our children's ministry, serving in the nursery or in Sunday school or on a Wednesday night with Awana. But there's just countless ways that all of us can be a part of this great cause. I mean, what could be better, friends, than to invest in the next generation to know that, uh, that we made an impact in, uh, in helping somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ? So anyway, thanks again, kids. You guys were all just absolutely wonderful. I'm going to invite you to join me in a word of prayer this morning. Let's ask uh, the Lord to uh, bless us now as we turn our hearts to his word and see what, uh, what he has to share with us as we continue on in our series in the Gospel of John. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being gathered together to worship you. Lord, there's nothing greater than starting our week together as the body of Christ, centered around your throne, worshiping and praising your great name. And uh, Lord, we, just, uh, we desire that you be honored and glorified by, uh, by everything that happens here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for how uh, Sunday morning worship, while we come to praise you, we also experience tremendous blessing in this. And uh, we just thank you, God, that you are a God of amazing grace who just continues to pour out your love and grace and compassion upon us. And I pray, Father, that all of my friends here this morning would once again experience those realities in, in their own lives. We, uh, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would now open our eyes and prepare our hearts, give us humility as we come to your word. And we, we pray that you would reveal your truth to us this morning. As we are getting closer to the end of the Gospel of John, and John is going to share with us uh, some powerful recollections of one of their final encounters with Jesus as disciples, and some of the, the lessons and words of assurance that we can take from this passage. Uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would give us eyes to see, and uh, ears to hear, and hearts that are humble. And uh, we just commit this time to you now, praying it in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let me ask you a question this morning as we begin. What would you say is the best breakfast that you ever ate? The best breakfast you ever ate. Think about that for a moment. If you had to define it or think about what's your best breakfast, favorite breakfast, for me that answer is easy. It's a breakfast that I've been privileged to enjoy a number of times. It's a breakfast that you can uh, find at the White Gull Inn in Fish Creek in Door County. It's their world-famous stuffed cherry French toast. And it tastes as good as it sounds, trust me. Uh, in fact, this breakfast is so good, just a few years ago, it actually won Good Morning America's national competition to find the best breakfast in America. And uh, this stuffed cherry French toast is absolutely amazing. They use this thick, battered French toast that's fried to a golden brown. Inside the French toast, it is stuffed with cherry cream cheese and fresh Door County cherries. And then they top it with powdered sugar. And I can see you salivating right now.
right now as I'm talking. You're like, all right, Jason, we want to go eat. All right. And then you pour over butter and syrup. I mean, it is just, I mean, it's like eating dessert in the morning. It's amazing. And uh, it is without a doubt the, the best breakfast that I've ever had. Now, if you were to ask the Apostle John that question, John, what would you say is the best breakfast you've ever had? You know, friends, I'm pretty confident that the Apostle John would point to the breakfast found in our passage this morning. And it's probably not so much because the, the fish and bread that was provided at this meal was so spectacular. It might have been. I mean, the cook, as we're going to see, was pretty incredible. But I don't think it was just simply what was served. I think it was the reality of all of the events that transpired around this meal in the morning of this special meal that left an indelible mark on John and the other disciples. We're, we're going to see this morning this powerful account of one of Jesus' last interactions with his disciples after his resurrection, before he ascended into heaven. And John has given us this account for some very important and specific reasons. Because in this story, we're going to find a number of lessons, a number of assurances for us as God's people as we continue to live in this world, serving Christ, on mission for Christ, as we talked about last week, carrying out our cause of living as agents of God's shalom in the world, right? We're going to find some powerful assurances that Jesus left his disciples in this scene this morning. We're in John chapter 21 today. We're in the 41st week of our series in the Gospel of John. We have one week left next week. Today we're in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Let me read our passage for us, and I want to come back and highlight some of the lessons that we can learn from this, this scene that John records. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee. And he then revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What an interesting story. 
that John places here at the end of his gospel. Now, before we look at some of the lessons found in our passage this morning, the the first thing we need to recognize today is that John's testimony here is more than just a cool fishing story. And, And it's more than just an account of some random breakfast with Jesus. Rather, what we find here is John giving us at the outset of this final chapter of his gospel what Pastor Kent Hughes describes in his commentary on John as a living parable. This is a living parable that John has revealed to us about how our risen Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, relates to his people in this world. There are some powerful lessons we can learn. If you recall, a parable is a fictional story that conveys spiritual truths. And in the Gospel of John and in the other Gospels, we see Jesus sharing parables, stories, made-up stories that convey truths to his people. But this passage, as I mentioned, Pastor Ken Hughes describes it as a living parable. It's a living parable because this was a real-life story. These were real events. This was a, a real fishing outing. This was a real meal on the shore of Galilee. But in this real living parable, there are powerful spiritual truths that we can take and apply to our own lives as we continue to follow Jesus Christ in this world. Now, before we begin to examine the, the lessons found in this real-life parable, I want us to reflect back on what we've studied so far this past year. Remember today, we're 41 weeks into our series in the Gospel of John. I mean, that's incredible to think about. And over the course of the past 41 weeks, what we have seen is John revealing to us this grand vision of this cosmic story of God's plan of salvation for the world. I mean, this is just an incredible account when you think about what we have here in the Gospel of John and what we've seen over the past 41 weeks together. It begins all the way back in John chapter 1 in the prologue. This incredible story that John has revealed week by week for us. John begins his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, Jesus Christ. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John goes on, he says, And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And then John went on over the course of 20 chapters to describe the mission of Jesus, the work of Jesus in this world as he brought the light of God's grace and God's love and God's truth into the darkness of this world. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus come? It was so that we could ultimately be reconciled back to our creator God. Remember, we've talked in recent weeks about the reality of the fall of Adam, the the curse that humanity is under today because of the decision of our first parents, Adam and Eve, to rebel against God. 
And because of their rebellion, this whole world has been lost in turmoil and, and caught in darkness and, and wrestling with confusion and looking for ways to experience the reality of peace and shalom once again. And, and God knew that the only way for all of that to be recovered was if he himself made a way. If he himself brought a provision that would provide forgiveness of our sin and rebellion, provide reconciliation to him. And and that was the purpose of Jesus coming into this world, the light of the world, to make a way for us to be forgiven, to be restored to God, to experience the reality of his shalom once again. And so again, friends, the entirety of John's gospel up to this point has been John's personal eyewitness testament to the reality of God's rescue mission for the world in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, John was there. He saw these things. He lived these things. And and he's written us this account of Jesus so that we too can know the reason why he came and then hopefully respond in faith to him so that we too can know the reality of God's amazing grace and the joy of being reconciled to him. But now we come to the end of John's gospel. And John has already prepared us in in recording how Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be leaving them. He was going to be ascending back into heaven. And and he was going to leave us now here in this world with the mission of continuing the work of sharing the good news of the gospel. and, And bringing the hope of the possibility of shalom to the world. We are now God's agents or God's ambassadors of the gospel in this world. And so John, as he comes to the end of his gospel, he leaves us this story with a very specific reason. He puts this story here, this this seemingly random story about a fishing trip and a breakfast on the shore of Galilee, but it wasn't random. He had a point in this. And the point he wanted to convey by sharing this story at the very end of his gospel was to provide us with a number of assurances as we continue to live out the mission of Jesus in this world in his ascension to heaven, in his physical absence from us. John wants us to be assured of three powerful truths this morning that we can count on as we continue to to live for Christ in this world. What are these three assurances that we find in our passage today? The first of these assurances for followers of Jesus in this world is we have a Lord who is present. We have a Lord who is present. Even though Christ has physically ascended into heaven, one of the great assurances in God's word is that Jesus is always present with us. John begins our our passage this morning in verses 1 through 4 of John 21 by revealing this third post-resurrection appearance by Jesus to his disciples. This is the third of these post-resurrection appearances that John has recorded. Remember, he appeared to Mary. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to Thomas. And, and, and er, 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 uh, Thomas and the disciples. Now, thirdly, he appears here on the shores of Galilee. Now, it's interesting. When we take John's three resurrection appearances and we add them to the testimony of the other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? When we add their testimonies, And then we add the testimony of Luke in the book of Acts. And then we add the testimony of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. What we discover is that the Bible actually reveals for us 11 11 post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ 
where he appeared to, to multiple people, over 500 people we know of just in these 11 appearances over the span of 40 days. Now you think about that, friends. That's a lot of people who witnessed Jesus risen from the grave. Think about this for a moment. I mean, how is it that Christianity, a movement that was considered to be a cult and heresy by both the Jews and the Romans, how is it that this movement began to grow and spread like a wildfire already in the first century after Jesus' death? I think the only thing that accounts for that rapid spread of the early church is the reality that there were so many people who had seen Jesus risen with their own eyes that the testimony couldn't be denied. I mean, just think about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul tells us that there were over 500 people who saw Jesus at one time in one particular setting, in one of these 11 appearances. Over 500 people. Now think about this. In the ancient world, in the first century, in official numerical counts and records, they didn't include women or children. So when Paul tells us over 500 people saw the risen Lord at one time, he's just counting the men who were there. Now if this was a typical gathering of Jesus' disciples, a typical gathering of the church, we would assume that it was a collection of both men and women and probably children present. And so now we're not talking about just 500 people. We're talking probably upwards of 1,000 people who were there in this one setting alone who saw Jesus risen from the grave. Now think about this. Scholars tell us that ancient Jerusalem at the time of Jesus probably had a population of around 50,000 people. Now if you do the math, what this means, friends is in a population of 50,000 people, if there are a 1,000 eyewitnesses to Jesus walking around, that means that one out of every 50 people in Jerusalem had seen Jesus alive with their own eyes. Now, let's put this into context. Let's say we've got probably 200 people here this morning. If we apply that same context to, to our circumstances, that would mean that today, here in this room, we would have four people who had seen Jesus risen from the grave. Now, you might think four people, that's not a lot of people. But think about it this way. Olin Phillips comes and says, I saw Jesus risen from the grave. And, and Nancy Crombie says, I saw Jesus risen from the grave. And, and uh, Cindy Dupre says, I saw Jesus risen from the grave, right? And, and Rick Stanghill, he says, I saw Jesus risen from the grave. Well, pretty soon, it's not just a matter of the numbers of people. It's the reality that all of these people knew other people who knew them and trusted them and believed them. And you just couldn't simply dismiss all of these accounts. There were too many people who had seen Jesus risen from the grave. So friends, understand this. Make no mistake about it. Christianity and our faith as Christians is rooted and founded upon a risen Savior and a living King. We worship a risen Savior and a living King. And now we come back to our passage this morning, and here John records for us this particular post-resurrection account to assure us that our living king is present and active with us, even in the daily routines of everyday life, 
Jesus is active and present with us, even in our regular routines of everyday life. Here in verses 1 through 4, we find the disciples fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, why, why are these guys all of a sudden in Galilee? I mean, last week, chapter 20, they're in Jerusalem. Now they're in Galilee. Now they're fishing. I mean, what's going on here? I mean, it's like some kind of time warp happening here. Well, friends, understand this. Jesus had commanded his disciples to go to Galilee. In Matthew chapter 28:10 and Mark chapter 14:28, after his resurrection, Jesus told his followers, "Go to Galilee and wait for me there." And so what we're finding here in chapter 21 is the disciples had been obedient to that call to go to Galilee. They had made the 80-mile journey from Jerusalem up to Galilee. We don't know how much time has transpired. I mean, that would certainly take at least a couple days to make that trip. So we're looking at probably a few days after the events of last week, maybe a week or so after the events of last week. But I want you to understand this, friends. You've got seven disciples, most of whom are professional fishermen, And what would you expect these guys to do as they're sitting around waiting for Jesus? I mean, duh, they're going fishing, right? I mean, you got a bunch of fishermen. Hey, go and wait for me in Galilee. What are they going to do? They're going to do what they do. They go fishing. And so here in chapter 21, we find the disciples out on the lake going fishing. And it was here on the shore of Galilee Where Jesus, with his disciples fishing, Jesus comes and presents himself to them. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I I just love this scene. I love the reality that Jesus appears to his disciples in this context. With them out on a boat, fishing in the middle of a lake. And I think there's some great words of assurance and encouragement for us in this. How so? Well, friends, think about this. Did you notice in our passage this morning that Jesus never once chastised his disciples for being out fishing? He, he never critiqued them for being out fishing. It wasn't like, what are you guys doing out on the lake? I mean, come on, get serious, get with the program. No, he doesn't critique them for being out on the lake. He, he appears to them present on the shore. And there's no hint at all here that Jesus was one bit concerned that they're out on the water doing their thing as fishermen working their job, going about their daily, regular routine. Jesus just simply makes himself present right where they are. Why is that? Friends, I think it's because Jesus cares about his disciples. Jesus cares about them, and he loves them, even in the regular and ordinary events of their daily lives. Is that a great encouragement to us or what? Jesus appears, and he's present, even in the midst of the most routine, mundane events of our lives. Let me ask you this morning, friends. Do you recognize the presence of Jesus with you in the daily routines of your life? When when you're going through your, your daily agenda each day, do you look expectantly for Jesus? See, if you've put your trust in him as your Savior and Lord, you should. You should expect Jesus to be present with you. You should expect to see Jesus in in all of the activities of your life because Jesus is always present with us no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. Maybe you're a young mom here this morning and 
Your daily routine consists of, you know, wrangling kids all day long and trying to do laundry and get meals made. Let me tell you this morning, Jesus is present with you. Maybe tomorrow you just can't, you're just dreading looking forward to another morning commute, getting stuck in rush hour traffic. And I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus is present with you. Some of you this week might be going to the oncologist for another chemotherapy infusion. And I'm going to tell you something. When you're sitting in that chair in the clinic, Jesus is present with you. Some of you young people are going to be heading off to school this next week. And some of you, like my own kids, are going to be walking into the high school for the first time. And as you walk through those doors with all those fears and anxieties, Jesus is present with you. Jesus is always present with us, even in our daily routines. And that's not just my word, friends. This is the Lord's promise to us. Do you remember what Jesus' last words were to his disciples in the book of Matthew? The very last words the apostle Matthew records for us. Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What does always mean? Always means always. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. You can count on Jesus' presence. What a great promise, friends. What a great assurance for us as his followers as we live in this world. Now, the second assurance that we find in our passage this morning is found in, in verses 5 through 8. It's not only the reality that we have a Lord who is present, but as we also see in our living parable this morning, we have a Lord who is powerful. So we find the disciples here Verses 5 through 8, they're out on the lake, they're fishing, and as John reports in verse 3, these guys knew all too well why this sport is called fishing and not catching, right? I mean, John records they've been out on the lake all night long, and they haven't caught a thing. I mean, they've been completely skunked. And now, here is where the presence of Jesus makes all the difference in the life of the disciples, In verse 5, Jesus calls out from the shore, and he asks, children, do you have any fish? Now, friends, I'm going to be honest with you. This is where I get a little suspicious about what kind of fishermen these disciples really were, right? Because notice how they answer Jesus. Jesus says, hey, do you guys got any fish? And the disciples say, no. No? Are you kidding me? I mean, what kind of fishermen are these? If these guys were real fishermen, they would have been like, oh, man, we've been slaying them all night long. You should see the hogs we've been pulling in, right? I mean, they'd be telling fish stories if they were real fishermen. But no, in all seriousness. The disciples, how do they respond to Jesus? They respond to Jesus honestly, and they yell back, no, no, we haven't caught any. And here's where John reminds us of the power of our Lord. Open your Bibles, look at verses 6 through 8 again. Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So the disciples cast it on the right side. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish that the disciple, then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and he was, because he was stripped for work and he threw himself to the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from land. It was about a hundred yards off. John tells us later, it was so full of fish, 153 total. But even though it was so full, the net itself didn't break. 
Friends, throughout this whole scene, we see the power of Jesus at work. We see the difference that Jesus makes. See, here we have the disciples. Don't don't miss the significance of what happens here in this passage. Here we have these disciples. They're seasoned fishermen. They got years of experience. They know the lake. They've got the boat. They've got the gear. They've got a full night on the water. Yet as Jesus makes abundantly clear to them, without him, they've got nothing. It was the presence and power of Jesus that made all the difference in the world to his disciples. Talk about a living parable, friends. Talk about a real-life experience with spiritual application for us as Jesus' followers in this world. Jesus' presence and his power made all the difference in the world for his disciples. And I can't help but think that maybe as they were hauling in this fish, some of the disciples might have looked over to each other and said, do you guys remember what Jesus told us a few weeks ago? Do you guys remember what Jesus told us a few weeks ago? In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What's Jesus saying here, friends? Well, as we talked about a few weeks ago, no root, no fruit. If as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't remain connected to our source of power, we can't expect to accomplish anything in this world that has any significance for the kingdom of God without Jesus present at work within us. No root, no fruit. And here in this scene, one of the last times that Jesus and his disciples would be together in this world, Jesus tangibly, visibly, powerfully reminds them that if anything is going to happen, if you're going to make any positive impact, If any fruit is going to come from your lives, it's going to be because of my power that's at work and displayed within you. Friends, what an important lesson for us as we seek to live out our commission as ambassadors of Jesus Christ in this world. And not just an important lesson, but a great assurance for us as we step out in faith as agents of God's shalom in this world. Right? God calls us to this incredible mission. Go out and tell the world about the possibility of the peace that is found in a relationship with me. But as we've seen already in recent weeks and as we see again today, Jesus says, look it, when I call you to this mission, I'm not going to leave you on your own in it. If you'll trust in my power, I will allow you and provide the provision that you can do amazing things when you walk in faith and in my power. Uh, another of Jesus' apostles who understood this principle was the apostle Paul. I remember Paul, his great words in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. The apostle Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Friends, do you remember what Paul says there? What he means in that? What Paul is saying here, friends, is that when we step out in faith walking in the will of God, moving in the power of God. There is literally nothing that God can't accomplish through us. And if that doesn't excite you this morning, I don't know what will. 
You see, if God is calling you to a mission, he promises to empower you for that mission. And when we keep our eyes on him, and when we walk in faith and in reliance and dependence on him, he will provide the power in order to carry out what he's called us to accomplish. We're not in this on our own, friends. So I want to ask you this morning, how would the Lord have you applied this truth in your life this coming year? You know, as we move into this new school year and this new season of ministry, how, how would God have you apply this truth in your life? Jesus says, look, I am present with you, and I will empower you, and if you will step out in faith and trust in my power, there is nothing that you can't accomplish with me present and powerful in your life. Maybe it's a place of service that God's calling you to this year. Maybe, maybe you've been on the fence about you know, participating in the mission of God and, and there's these various service opportunities you've been considering and God is whispering in your ear right now, trust me, I'm going to do great things and keep, my eyes, keep your eyes on me and trust in my power and I'm going to use you in incredible ways. Or maybe there's a person in your life a friend or a family member, and, and maybe the Holy Spirit is putting this person on your heart right now this morning and saying, trust me, this is the year. This is the time where you're going to step out in faith to reach out to this individual, and I promise you I'm going to be right there with you, and I'm going to empower you, and there's nothing that we can't accomplish together. What a great promise. What a great assurance that we have as followers of Christ in this world. So we can count on Jesus' presence. We can count on his power. The third assurance that we see in our passage this morning, we have a Lord who is personal. We have a personal friend in Jesus. Verses 9 through 14. I love how our, our scene wraps up. So the disciples catch this massive haul of fish when the power of God works through Jesus and they've hauled this massive net full of fish to the shore. And on verse 9, we read, when they get out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Here the disciples have come ashore, and Jesus is already ready for them. He's already prepared this, this warm and welcoming fire. Friends, what better vision could a bunch of hungry fishermen after a long night out on the lake desire to see than a loving friend with a fire made and food provided. And Jesus has this charcoal fire prepared. Friends, do you remember the last time we heard about a charcoal fire in the Gospel of John? The last time John mentioned a charcoal fire was back in John chapter 18, verse 18. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. This was the night of Jesus' arrest and trials. And you remember as Peter stood outside the palace warming himself, three times different people looked to Peter and said, wait a minute, aren't you one of his disciples? Peter said, no, I don't know him. No, 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 I, I, I think I saw you with him once. No, 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 you got me mistaken for somebody else. It wasn't me. And Peter warmed himself by the fire. And another person comes and says, no, I think this guy was with Jesus. And Peter says, no, 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 it wasn't me. And three times G Peter denies knowing Jesus Christ at the side of a charcoal fire. And I don't think there's any mistake, any accident 
that here as Peter swims ashore after witnessing this incredible miracle, that the greatest miracle of all for Peter that morning maybe wasn't the fish they caught, but the presence of this charcoal fire welcoming and embracing him with Jesus' love and warmth. I mean, what a beautiful picture of redemption that John has shared with us here. In one scene, a charcoal fire that was the site of his rebellion. In another scene, a charcoal fire that was the site of his restoration. We're going to see more of Peter's redemption story next week, but the point I want us to get here this morning, friends, is we've got this seaside campfire that John has shown us this, this vision of. And, and here in this powerful image, we see Jesus' personal love for his people. Jesus has made his presence known. He's provided them with his power. And now Jesus blesses them with a gracious welcome, the gracious welcome of a loving, personal friend. Look at verse 12. Jesus says to his disciples, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Now, I want you to notice something. These are the very last words that John records for us of Jesus speaking to his disciples as a group. The the rest of chapter 21 is Jesus and Peter talking privately. These are the last words that Jesus spoke publicly to his disciples as a group. He says, come and have breakfast. I find this very interesting because if you remember back at the beginning of our series in the Gospel of John, the very first words that John records Jesus speaking to his disciples as a group are found back in John chapter 1, verse 28, where Jesus says to a group of disciples, come and see. John 1, 39, I mean, come and see. And so here we have these two invitations to come, bookending the earthly ministry of Jesus. One invitation to discover the reality of God's amazing grace in Jesus, and one, an invitation to rest in the warmth and hospitality of personal friendship with Jesus. Jesus says, come. Let me ask you, friends, have you responded to Jesus' invitation to come? You know, maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online this morning and you've heard Jesus' invitation. Maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you in your heart, even right now. You hear Jesus bidding you come. Come and experience the reality of my amazing grace. Come and experience the the reality of the personal friendship that's available when you walk with me. And friends, I promise you, if you respond to Jesus' invitation to come, he'll embrace you as a personal friend. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And you'll experience the warmth and love of God's amazing grace like you can't even imagine. There might be some others of you here this morning who, who know what that is, to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But maybe you're here today and, and you've wandered from the Lord's campfire. Maybe something out in the dark caught your attention and, and you've strayed from that fire. Maybe it was the voice of a friend who, who didn't know the power of the warmth of Jesus' personal love and, and he drawed you, drew you away. 
Maybe, maybe you were enticed by what you thought was going to be something exciting or interesting or attracting out in the darkness, and you, and you walked away from the Lord's campfire. But now you've realized just how cold it really is away from the warmth of the personal love of Jesus. And Jesus today bids you to come. Come once again and pull up a chair next to my fire and experience the warmth of my personal love. You see, friends, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus bids you to come. And he invites you to come and experience the power of his warmth and his personal love. And this is one of the greatest assurances that we have in this world, is that Jesus is a loving friend who bids us come. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's a Lord who is present, a Lord who is powerful, a Lord who is personally invested in our lives. I pray you know him, friends. I pray you experience the warmth of his love. Let's close in a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great scene that you inspired the Apostle John to record for us. As you were preparing to leave this world and, the, and you wanted to tangibly impress upon your followers one last time these three powerful assurances, uh, Lord, we are so thankful that you gave us the privilege of, of listening in, looking in on this story through the words of the Apostle John. I pray today that we would walk away inspired by the reality that, that we have a Lord who is present with us every day, all the activities of our day, even in the routine, mundane events of our daily lives. Jesus is always there. He's always powerful, ready to work in our lives through us when we step out in faith to honor him. We, we have a God who is personal, who desires us to, to pull up alongside him at his campfire and to lavish us with his warmth and his love and his provision. What a great friend we have in you, Jesus. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for coming and dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for giving us the hope of new life and commissioning us to be your agents of shalom in this world. Lord, you have been so good to us, and I pray that we would honor you every day of our lives, living for you, putting you first and foremost, and that in doing so, God, we might have the blessing of seeing the reality of your transformative power at work through us in the lives of others. And so, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this word. Help us to walk and live in these assurances as we leave this place this morning. We pray all this in your great name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from the Apostle John's second letter, 2 John, verse 3. And now grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. 
There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.